turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We've got a good work going with our singing ministry. You know it's going well when Keith, our deacon, who kind of orchestrates not only making sure our song leaders lead sing, uh, get their leading opportunities in, but he also uh, structures our song nights, and he brought this passage to me a few, uh, a few months ago and said, I think this would be a great uh, passage for us to consider as we think about one of our song nights, and it just so happened that our, the timing of this worked out uh, for us to be in sync with what we're learning on Sunday mornings about being ready to fight a spiritual battle. We're going to be anchoring into a story that is really a great story about King Jehoshaphat. And um, in chapter 20, we'll, we'll hone in on verses about 14 through um, maybe about verse 20. I'll read for you. I won't read the whole chapter, but if you get a chance, read the whole chapter. It's a great uh, devotional thought. But the story of Jehoshaphat really in this chapter shows us something really important about life. Um, shows us something that is different for the life of a believer versus the life of a non-believer. And what Jehoshaphat shows us is how to have confidence in the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of great uncertainty. And I'm not talking about a sort of um, Western, maybe American kind of confidence in ourselves, you know, the American way that we can do this and I've got it on my own, but I'm talking about a confidence that rests in the goodness, the greatness, and the grace of our God. Jehoshaphat had a character flaw. He made a lot of wrongful alliances in his life with godless King Ahab, but he was a man who followed the Lord pretty seriously, and he brought spiritual reform to the nation we see in chapter 19. But then he became kind of shaken one morning. His intelligence officers, you might say, the guys that are out in the field gathering intel, what's going on in other nations, come running back to him, and they've got some bad news. Basically, they're saying there is a great multitude from beyond the sea, and they are coming after you. Multiple groups of people have gathered together, and Jehoshaphat, they're coming after you to set themselves against you and to fight. And this meant that his enemy, this enemy coalition, so to speak, was about 15 miles south of where he was, on the western shore of probably the Dead Sea. And so Jehoshaphat's life and his entire kingdom were there on the brink of what he believed to be extinction. That's a serious reason to panic. You know, they don't have modern communication technology. They don't have a lot of things that we would have today to spread the word to the army quickly that we've got to get ourselves ready because there is a coalition of multiple groups of people gathering together and they're coming after us. And we see something happen in Jehoshaphat that's kind of really pretty cool. And we look at what he did. And as you think about this, you ask yourself, maybe what might you do? Maybe you're not in the position of being the king or queen of a nation with vast amounts of enemies that are kind of maliciously coming after you, but certainly you face crisis. You face opportunities and challenges in life that make you a little bit concerned about what's going to happen. Maybe things that cause great amounts of fear and uncertainty, like what's going to take place when this thing happens or comes about. 
And what we learn from Jehoshaphat is that we can be confident even in the midst of our crisis if we let the great need in front of us drive us to our great God. You see, great need, great emergency, great situations that sort of feel like crisis to us oftentimes can begin to drive us away from God. Jehoshaphat could have easily in this moment looked to the heavens and said, God, I'm trying to do all these reforms for you. I'm trying to pour myself out and lead this nation. How could you let all of these enemies gather together and come against me? Why would you do that to me, God, especially as I'm trying to be so faithful to you? He could have let the great need of this crisis drive him away from God. But he doesn't do that. In the midst of his emergency, his problem, it actually drives him near to God, close to God. You see, the first thing we see is that there is a recognition in Jehoshaphat that great need should drive you to prayer. At the very beginning of chapter 20, it says that in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah that they came to seek the Lord. You see, three times in that passage, upon hearing the news that there's something serious going to happen, they sought the Lord. They, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. He called out to the nation. They sought the Lord. They were seeking after him. And they were coming to God, recognizing they have a great need, and they humbled themselves. Jehoshaphat humbled himself not just before God, but before people. This king could have easily, in the moment of this emergency, this crisis, maybe puffed up his chest. I'm not afraid. Bring it on. I have no problem with this. But in fact, he actually calls to the rest of the nation, says, we need to seek God. And he directs his prayer to God. You see, as I mentioned already, it says three times that they sought God. Jehoshaphat turned his attention. That's what it means to set his face. He turned his attention and he determined, he made a, he made a commitment to seek God. You see, seeking after God is not just some emotional experience. It's not just some uh, trivial matter that sort of enlightens our emotions and makes us feel better. The concept of actually seeking after God is something that we, in our convictions, decide to do. Jehoshaphat turned his attention and he made a determination. In the midst of this crisis, I'm going to decide what to do. And I'm not going to melt down. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to drive a wedge between me and God and blame God. What I'm going to do is seek him, to seek the Lord. It says that not only him, but the people sought the Lord, and they sought him as his father. And if you go back and look at the Hebrew word seek, it's really interesting to see sort of the root basis of this word. It literally means, the word seek, to trample underfoot. That's what that word means. Now, why would the Hebrews use the word to trample underfoot when they're talking about seeking the Lord? You see, what they meant was to seek God means to beat a path to God because you go to him so frequently. That if you were there out in the grass and, you know, you're just kind of looking at all the green and you saw this brown pathway through the grass, you'd be like, you know, that's where everybody walks every day, right? If you go to a, where Elena and Reed used to go, to go to school in elementary, there's sidewalks, obviously, but then there's this brown path that like cuts right through the middle that goes right to the playground. None of the kids walk like straight out and then turn 90 degrees left and go to the playground. They all just cut right through the grass. 
and it's brown. That's what the Hebrews use for the word seek. It means that we're going to go this way so frequently that there's going to be a path that gets trodden out. Seeking God is not momentary emotional relief. Seeking God is discipline, is activity. And it's purposing in your mind that I will turn to him and not from him in moments of crisis. And in Jehoshaphat's case, when he was seeking God, he was seeking God in his revealed word. That was one of the things that Jehoshaphat was known for, that he was a man of God's revealed word. In verse 6 of chapter 20, we see that he's reciting God's attributes. He says, you are the God of our fathers, remembering that God had already taken care of the people of Israel time and time again. And so as he's recalling these realities that he's learned from Scripture, he's bringing it to bear on his current situation. That God, even though right now we've got an emergency, a crisis, there have been many of these already in the past, and you have always showed up. That's why he's seeking after him. He says, you are the God of the heavens, the ruler over the kingdoms of the nations, in verses 6, 7, and forward, including you are the God, the king, the ruler of the nations that are threatening me right now. You see, Jehoshaphat's crisis, he recognized that God was even the ruler over the very thing that was threatening him. And it began to develop a level of confidence, not in himself, but in God. And so he said, you are so powerful, you are so mighty, that no one, not even my enemy, can withstand you. Why is Jehoshaphat telling God all this? Certainly not for God's information, but it was to rehearse in his own mind and to remind the people of the greatness of God so that they would have an, a renewed trust in God. Let me make this one last point. Reliance on our great God follows prayer with obedience. Okay? So what it means to really rely on God, to have confidence in crisis, means not just, to, not just to turn to prayer or even direct our prayer to God or even turn to the revealed word of God to know who he is, but it actually means to follow prayer with obedience. And so in our passage in verses 15 through 17, listen to this. It says, Jehoshaphat, and he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at the great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley in the east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. The Lord will be with you. You see, Jehoshaphat and his people still had to obey. They still had to go out. In fact, we see later on down that the singers, those of the tribe of Levi that served in the, in, as the Levitical people, the singers began to stand in front of their enemies. And sing down in verse 25, uh, I believe it's verse 21, pardon me. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what their song was. So here's their military strategy. You thought, you thought Jericho was kind of crazy, right? Like walk around the walls and on the seventh day. Here's their military strategy. 
are untrained warriors. The Levites were not trained to battle. They were singers. They were servants in the, in the temple. Go out in front of your enemies and sing a hymn. You know, they're like 846. And, you know, the guy starts waving his arm. And, you know, that's literally what they did. They probably said 846. 840. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Song, that, was, that was a joke to the song leader. Sorry. They start swinging their arm and singing. And that's all that happens. Now imagine the confidence of the singers. Their, their, their skin is on the line here. They're standing in front of this mighty army. And they literally bring out their hymn books. And they start singing at these people. And God raises up in verse 22. When they began to sing, the Lord set an ambush against them. And he drove them out, and he destroyed them. Okay. What do we take from that? In moments of crisis, whatever your crisis may be, remind yourself in the crisis to use that emergency to drive you to prayer, prayer to God, seek him, wear out the pathway to God. And in your prayer, remind yourself of what's true about God from Scripture, that he has always been there, and he always shows up, and ultimately be ready to obey him. So in your prayer, be obedient. And if you'll do that, I believe you'll see confidence rise when you face crisis. But not confidence in yourself, but confidence in God. And if you do that, I believe you'll begin to see yourself have victory in those moments of crisis to see how great God really can be to you. It was the ultimate crisis in the entire world. The Son of God standing in front of sinners, condemning him for things that he had never done, finding him to be guilty in an unjust manner. And in that moment, Jesus Christ did the very thing we're talking about. His crisis drove him to prayer. His crisis reminded him of what's true about God. And his crisis led him through that process in obedience. And in his obedience, he not only delivered us, but he brought us back to God so that we might be one with God, so that we might have confidence in him as well. If you need restored confidence, whether as a new believer or as a seasoned believer, um, elders, and we're available to receive you. Let's stand and sing.